Hey everyone, I'm Mallory Rubin and I am thrilled to tell you that House of R has a new podcast feed. Joanna Robinson and I will now be with you twice a week with more of the deep dives you've come to know and love on the Ringerverse. In addition to exploring all of your favorite nerd culture new releases, we'll have nostalgic revisitations, hype meters, Hall of Fame inductions, tropes courses, drafts, and more. All bad babies are welcome as we dive into Star Wars, Marvel, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, and beyond. Follow the new House of Our feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome back to What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. With me on this week's episode is my co-host and BFF, Stephen Othello. Yo, yo. And our returning guest, writer and former colleague, Julian Kimball. And we're exploring hating your quote-unquote nine-to-five alongside your work friends. It's, it's good energy, though. Good vibes. So let's first start by checking our hearts. How, how's your heart doing today, Stephen? What color are we feeling? Oh, man. I feel like the color is like, it's like a green. Ooh. Um, my heart is in a, it's in a, a space of growth because I've been able to, I, I guess through my challenges these past few weeks, I've been able to see the growth that I've came to mm-hmm. these past few years. Like, I feel like the work that I've been putting in is actually um, showing. So I'm in the green space right now. How about you? Oh, well, first, congratulations, because, oh. you know, we all know growth can be very uncomfortable. So Facts. I'm proud of you. Thank you. This journey, your mental health journey has I'm been privileged to be a part of it and to see your growth. I'm doing OK. I'm kind of tired, but I think it's just like a weird week, you know. But as far as colors, I'm like a light yellow, almost like a one of those like pastel c- color yellows. Mm. Why that color? I just feel very like, although I'm a little tired, I still feel calm and positive, like a quiet positive. <laughs> if that's even a word, right? You know, let's you know, let's let's talk some shit though. Um, when's the last time you talk shit about work with friends that you're working with? All the time, like yesterday, <laughs> every single day. Are you talking shit with the friends that you're working with? Yeah, I think. Um... I've become the friend that people like come to about their work problems. So it's, I hear it all the time. Like I hear, you know, all types of, and you know, a lot of, uh, it's, it's different. It's not like necessarily like a nine to five. A lot of the time right, it's right. like creatives, freelance, and you know, like the biggest thing is waiting a net 30. You do, you know, the complaints that I hear every single day about net 30. That net 30 makes no sense because <laughs> the work was turned in probably like 
within a week or days of when it was assigned no, to us. Let them hit you about net. Let them hit you and uh, say net 60. Yeah, that it that makes no sense whatsoever. The work is done. It's the work done. Is done. <laughs> and we're still waiting to get paid. Right. So, yeah, but I, I think I think this ultimately you, you always hear it. You know, I, I do it all the time. Um, but I, I try to make sure that I'm talking to the right people because you don't want to. One thing I do 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 literally do do. One thing one thing I do is I know one thing I do is anything I say behind someone's back. I try to be able to say it in front of someone, so it's not really like I'm talking shit. It's a lot of times it feels like I'm venting. I try to like let it match up on both sides. You know. Yeah. What are like things that about a job, right? Any type of job. Well, currently, whatever jobs you're working on creatively, what kind of things cause you to misery bond with who you're working with? Pay. It's usually always pay, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, or it's like I could be, damn, yo, we should be getting paid more, you know? Like that's how we doing so much. Like the amount of stuff that we're doing, we should be getting paid more. Or sometimes it, it was even crazier is I think when like, you know, you're close to the person that owns the business. So then does that mean that like technically who your your client or your boss, whatever you want to call them, the person that you're working for is a reason that you're also misery bonding? Exactly. But you're saying it's hard when you actually are close with this person. Exactly. Because like um, from my own experience, I've been a part of a lot of startups and the trials and tribulations of pay, for example, they the way they communicate and it's like you understand, I get it. Like I know you're not making money because I see your bank accounts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, but I want to be paid though. Yeah. So yeah. it's like this weird place that you're in. So who do you talk to about that? You know? Right. I mean, no matter what, whether it's like a nine to five, a full time nine to five, or a freelancer contractor job, that hate is still the same. Like I think it depends, right? Like how much, how much hate, or when you talk about it. But I feel like it's still there, no matter the type of job. Well, you know what's interesting? Like when I think about, so like I use this as an example because I think like you got to be mindful of your resentment growing for people. You know, just oh, be. Yeah, that's you true. know, when you work with somebody, like a lot of the times where we work are were blessings at one point in our life. Like we prayed for these jobs. You know, like I wish I had a job with benefits, or I wish I was making more money. This is the job. The job that you you love now turns into something that you resent because of the people. And so my example of like just always being mindful is like Virgil and how Virgil dealt with Kanye in a time where Kanye felt like he should have had what Virgil had. You know, there was a moment where like when Virgil got the LV job, Kanye felt the way like, yo, I put you in this position and now you're going, you're working with everybody that I wanted to work with or that I don't, I don't work with anymore. But what, what what Virgil did, he never shitted on Kanye publicly ever. And when he had his big moments, he made sure he always he always to give it up to him. So to me, that was like good strategy because like they can't really they can't connect to the hate if you're not giving it if you're not if you're not like um giving something to latch on. He gave no space for the latch ons. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the 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 hate or the the trauma bond. Right? There was nothing. For no one, like everybody knew that, like he always gave it up to to Kanye, no matter what. That's interesting, though. It's just like the there could still be respect, although there is some sort of like disagreement after you kind of call it quits on something. Mm, well, you know, the, the hate is the the easiest icebreaker to talk about. It's easy to talk about what you don't like at a job or with food or with a friend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yo, I hate chicken nuggets from mcdonald's you're gonna be like word right it's like and then you that's the, <laughs> the y'all just go y'all just go like and then the fries yeah. it's like right back in the day in the 90s chicken nuggets was crazy and then the, that connection from the hate turns into something that's actually could be something good but it's easy to complain it's the easiest thing to do in the world especially so about funny. each other that is true, though. I mean, I think we it, we have talked about this before, where it's just easier to talk about the bad than the good, because that is probably what weighs on us heavier than the good and the good we try to live in. I feel like I, I know this answer, but have you ever had a service job, like either in food or in retail? Yeah. In 2005, four, four or five, I worked at CVS. Yes, that's what I thought. Yeah, yes. on Christopher Street. 
Yes, the infamous CBS okay, on Christopher Street. Stories now. How long did you work there for? I was there for a year and a half. That's a good amount of time. Yeah, during college, yeah. How was it misery bonding if you did at all with your coworkers there? It was terrible. It was the most... <laughs> you, no, you mean working there was terrible or bonding with them everything. about... Everything. The whole, the whole <laughs> thing was this thing, right? My uh, my uncle, he got he got me a job. His name is Stefan. He got me a job there. Um, my first job, you know, I was just coming out of GED, going into college. You know, the pay was terrible. It was like, I feel like it was either like $5.75 an hour or $6.75 an hour. And, <sighs> you know, you walk in here, you walk in that shit miserable. Right. You got to get up at <laughs> seven in the morning, move the boxes, open the doors, deal with people. Yeah. And then that natural connection at the register. Right. We used to be at the register. I used to be right next to this, uh, my homegirl at the time. All we did was talk shit. That's all we did. What did you guys talk shit about? Like customers, your Customer boss, service, the pay? You name it, everything. All of it? All of it. All yeah. And then you never know. I could have been getting talk shit about. Yo, can I tell you a story? <laughs> so boom, right? So this is this is this is why people talk shit, right? So I'm at the register. I'm doing a register every every weekend or whatever. One night, my register was short, like eighty two dollars or something. That's a lot of money to be short on. Never ever ever happened, right? They uh-huh. let it slide. Come back again. My register is short again. The following week, the oh, manager no. at the time was blaming me. Well, he was like, "Yo, why is it coming up short?" Plot twist, the manager was taking the money and shortening my register. Got caught and got fired. (laughs) That is a reason to talk shit about people. Yeah, I will will say venting about like clients, like when you're the creative field, is very different than venting about customers because it's a whole different space. We get a whole different version of a human. It's wild. We see a lot of ugly going on in these type of like industries from like people from all sides. Like I, before I moved to New York to internet vibe, I worked at a coffee shop for like three months, which I never really talk about because I cared so little about the job that it went so quickly. But that's where I met one of my close friends, Jackie mm. and I, her, her and I and her sister worked there. Wow. And then I went to the gap. I worked at gap outlet for four years and that misery bonding, like within that space is very different than doing so like, you know, a more creative or corporate job just because of the people that you are dealing with on a day to day, like customers are rude. Like they really don't treat other humans that like do some sort of service as humans. Like it is just wild sometimes to think back at different, like, Instances, I remember I would just go hide like in the stock room because of how rude customers were, especially during the holiday season, how people speak to you when you are doing something of service to them that actually makes you think like differently about humans. And then, you know, our producer Sasha was talking about working at a coffee shop also in Berkeley. And we thought of like how Starbucks Seems like the hardest job in the world. Can you imagine all the customized drinks and oh, the people yeah. that order those drinks? Like you see memes of like the on and on, like little ingredients that they're adding to. All. Like, I can't even imagine like having to create that drink and then having someone talk rudely to me about it. And then and then the connection, right? Like, you know, how you spell someone's name on a cup, right? That's the, you'd be surprised that that is a thing. No, yes, yes. That, that uh, is yeah. a, that is a connection in itself. Like, you know, after, oh, what's your name, Zach? Okay. With a C, <laughs> with a, leave the K out, see what happened. You yeah, know, it's actually I, yeah. with a K. Like, yeah, what? No. Every time when I would order something, you know, they would be like, oh, with a, you know, Erica with a C or with a K. And I was like, right. with the K. And in my mind, I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's okay. like, just as long as I know that you're calling my name when the drink is, you know, done, that's all that matters. But I, I feel you like it. There's so much to deal with when you work within those industries. I know that bonding over like misery bonding when I was at Gap, mostly because I don't remember really working at the coffee shop was just because of customers. Thankfully, I enjoyed like the company of my coworkers and even my managers. And then I became a manager. So I think it was when we were misery bonding, it was mostly because of how we were being treated by customers. And then also the same music over listening to the same music that they play over and over and over again. 
we would either talk shit about that or how rude customers were. Do you think something good can come out of misery bonding? The only good I could see coming from it is if you use it as motivation to actually make a plan or a strategy to leave. You know, I know that it's much easier said than done to quit a job because you do, you know, it depends on your circumstances, like life and everything. And then there's also like unions, right? Like it's like unionizing is also difficult and very much needed in this day and age with these type of jobs as well. But I think that you could use it as motivation to to leave or to look for something better or also just like, you know, it just really, I think that after a while, I mean, that was what I was wondering about. Like, when is it okay to misery bond about work and when is it time to call it quits? But what if complaining is enough? Like, what if that's just what... Oh, as in like, that's all you need is to complain and you feel good? Yeah. Have you felt that way with work? Absolutely. I definitely um, give myself space to complain because I think like sometimes we, you know, it's like, it's almost like shut up and work forever right like we don't really get space to complain or without feeling guilty about the complaining like oh damn i shouldn't be complaining this is a gift you know all the stuff right it's like it's like so much energy that goes into just genuinely having real feelings and i think sometimes you got to give yourself at least a day to just get your complaining out right get your get your get your shit off because like it do be a lot of shit pent up complaining might uh come to you without you even wanting it you know, but you mean you not you haven't figured out your boundaries just yet, so you just receiving it all. Who are you gonna talk to? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking that what it has taught me, at least when I've been in jobs that I've misery bonded with coworkers, it's it has taught me about boundaries. Boundaries as far as just like how much venting I can do and how much I want to actually take in from someone else. And then also boundaries with work. I mean, it, it is sometimes a little tougher being freelance and a creative where when do you turn work off, right? Like when do you stop working when we sometimes are working when we're not even thinking that we are by coming up with ideas and all that. But like it has taught me about healthy boundaries as far as work goes of when to disconnect, when to kind of like not talk shit, not be open to other people talking shit because it does affect you. I, I think you bring up a good point of like you can learn from it. It's more so of like after a while, what is it does what does it do to your mental health and your physical health? It's just something mm. to consider. Yeah. When is it a limit? Like, is there a limit to how long? Because like, think about it, right? Like, you want your, I'm your best friend. You're my best friend. I call you when shit is real, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a, a amount of times I can call you before you say we're misery bonding? Like, how do you get to a place where you know that you're misery, you're misery bonding? Well, I mean, I think that. You made a you made like a, a point of like, is it bad to really misery bond? And if it is bad to misery bond, I think it just depends on, like you said, like the length of misery bonding. If it's affecting someone's mental health and physical health, I think that's when it's gone a little too far. Or also, I mean, we've I've seen this more within like when we talk about relationships, but it's more so of like, when is it you don't want to see your best friend also like live in misery, right? And you also don't want to live in misery with them, especially for too long, where it's kind of like, if you really want out, i rather than switch the gears to helping you go get out versus stay in. What Have you learned something from misery bonding about work? I mean, yeah. I mean, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. You learn um, other people's perspective on things, you know? Because, mm. you know, you know, if the, if you have, you're working at McDonald's and you're the one to register and, and then and then someone's the cook, y'all may not communicate. So y'all don't even know each other's process. Y'all don't know. You just from on the other side, the outside looking in. But when y'all communicate, then y'all understand each other's process more. Maybe I can help each other. Maybe I can work together to make it a little bit smoother, you know, for each other. And I think that's just how it is sometimes. It's like, I think the communication is healthy as long as you, you're thinking about what you can do to kind of better it, you know? Right. Yeah, or, exactly. or, the, or this strategy, you know, I have a friend right now who's dealing with something similar and I just, you know, I communicate to them. And it's just like, what is the strategy to exit? You know, ha- have your exit strategy situated because you already made up the mind that I in a few I'm going to be out. So what is that extra exit strategy look like for you? And I think that's the key. But people don't even be at that place yet. Sometimes they just want to complain. It yeah, might not it very be, much depends. Yeah, yeah, it might not even be like to exit. It just might be the vent and venting. I think there needs to be a difference between like venting and misery. Like, cause it might just mm. be venting. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know, and I'm with you with the strategy plan, the strategy exit plan. I know that when I was trying to quit a job, my therapist was just like, you need a number. You either need a number, like a date of when that is when I can't do this anymore and I'll put in my two weeks, or you need a number saved up in your savings account so you feel comfortable in quitting. And that's what I did. I, I made sure I had a certain amount in my savings before putting in my two weeks. And since then, I never looked back on quitting. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think that that's just really important. Enough about misery bonding. Before I have Julian join us, though, I wanted to share with you a reader's email uh, regarding childhood friendships. So this is from Luis. He said, hey, just wanted to say that the latest episode on childhood friendships was one of my favorite episodes of the pod. The other one would be the episode on Latine Familia. I felt inclined to tell a bit of my story with childhood friendships. I met my core group of friends when I was in middle school and our school was a middle and high school. So I was with them for quite some time. As we've grown and matured, we graduated nine years ago. Our collective friendship has stayed strong. We have a group chat, play fantasy football, and the majority of us make sure to play video games a few times a week together. All of these things have kept us close and familiar. But as my interests change and I start to try new things, there is a feeling that we are friends just because we do those things, as opposed to us being friends and doing those things. It's a weird feeling, and as an adult, it's tough to make new friends unless you really put yourself out there. There are ways to work and maintain friendships, but things change and bonds that were strong can grow weak just because. I think for long-term childhood friendships, it's important to focus on what is and what will be, to take interest in current things and not focus on the past. The past is something to appreciate, but it gives room to look forward to what can come. Thanks for the great episode. Dope. How do you feel about that? How do you the feel whole, about that? The interesting thing of, he said, there is a feeling that we are friends just because we do those things as opposed to us being friends and doing those things. So I wonder about like those friendships where you are unintentionally only living in the past or more so, it sounds like you're living in routine. Versus like learning more or learning new about your friends. And I think, you know, something we always refer back to, you and I, is checking in on on your friends and who they are this very day, as opposed to who they were yesterday. And I feel like that is what I think of with this email of just like, are we interested in the interests of our friends, like their current interests as well? Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah, you got to update that iOS. That's what I say every yes, single time. Is, yeah. But I also will say the moments that you do have, and I was saying this to you earlier while we was on the phone earlier, it's like it's important to like really cherish the moments that you do share with your friends from the past, regardless of in what way. Because, you know, those are the times that you're going to be reminiscing about five, 10 years from now, like I remember when we used to play video games and just chill, it was simpler back then. And so like, while you're in those moments, instead of, you know, like wishing that it could be more, just be, be appreciative. Or thinking of, too far ahead into the future. Yeah, just appreciate yeah. what it is in that moment and just hold on to it for as long as you can because it ain't no telling whether you'll get that moment again. Yeah, I think it's about loving that that friendship in real time. And for what it is, which can be hard. Also, like it is really hard to make friends as an adult. But from the from what I've felt and seen, it's worth putting yourself out there and trying to make those friends. I think it's just like it's the same as I think with dating. I think the more that you put yourself out there, the more you actually learn about yourself. And I feel like that's the plus also when trying to make friends as an adult is the more you put yourself out there. You're also learning about what you need and want in a friend and what you can also be as a friend. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Like what you can offer. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Luis, for that email. Word. And that thank dope. you, Stephen, for joining me today. All day, all day. I'll be right back. I'm going to go talk to Julian. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly when it comes to style and luxury ebay gets it they're making sure the things you love are checked by experts not just any experts specialized experts real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience so when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee shop with confidence every inch stitch sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection 
That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Julian, welcome back to What About Your Friends. We are seriously just continuing a conversation we were having offline. We're going to be exploring hating your quote-unquote nine-to-five alongside your work friends. Julian Kemble, how are you feeling? Thank you for having me back. You know, (laughs) I said uh, I'd love to come back, and I didn't expect it to be so soon, but I ain't mad at that, so. (laughs) It's, I, I feel like the... We actually came up with this idea at the end <laughs> of our last recording. So the the first episode that listeners heard you on. And it's pretty much focusing on misery bonding with coworkers, which we personally both have done in the past. What do you think is the appeal, though, to like hating your nine to five job, specifically to and along with coworkers? I think the, the phrase trauma bonding is probably overused, but that's probably just what it is. It's yeah. just it's being stuck in something and it's like it's a shared experience. And, you know, people can form bonds and relationships off of that, even if it's not necessarily healthy. I mean, I think if it's only just talking about how much you hate the job, then like it only goes so far. I've worked places where it's like, hey, you know, we all we, we don't really like this. <laughs> But mm-hmm. we hung out outside of work and talked about other things besides just work. If the if the basis of your conversations is all just work and how much you hate it, then like that's not really a friendship. They're just yes. coworkers. You know what I mean? Like those people are associates. When you got friends who like years later you go into their weddings, y'all shared interests because you actually have them, then like those are friendships. And I have them. There's some people who like, yeah, I work someplace and like <laughs> once I left or once they left. Say for like that, like maybe intermediary period of like three to six months where you still are in communication and you stop. Were you still traumatized? Yeah. And still discussing solely that. My, my thing is like, I don't, I don't like to think that work traumatizes me because I feel like I won't let it affect me that much. Now I understand that everybody has a different, everyone copes with things differently. Even if it's really bad, I'm like, yeah, but I can go home. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's like, (laughs) you gotta create like, or you know, you can you can disconnect at some point. You have to. And I understand that there are a lot of jobs that are very demanding, and they want you to like live it. And I'm just like, nah. (laughs) There has to be some hard line between you and like your job because we're not our jobs. And like, I've seen a lot of people like almost work themselves sick because of like the pressure of everything. And like, I, and I'm just like, listen, man, like is no sense in, in like destroying your physical and mental health for people who will discard you with the drop of a hat. I completely agree. I think working in media specifically, and we were talking about this a little bit offline, working in media gives you this like sense of urgency to create, to publish um, that is mostly all the time false, but it doesn't feel false in the moment. And I was very, very relieved when I stepped away from more like news writing, news editing responsibilities, because that sense of urgency, 
lessened. And then also it just made me kind of realize this nice thing called boundaries when it comes to work. But I do think it is like, you know, the appeal of it is what we would call trauma bonding because you're becoming close friends because you're both in these similar situations, but it's mostly because you're close in proximity and the situations feel miserable during a long period of your day. Because, you know, if you're working nine to five, eight to five, that's a, a long time of you just kind of commiserating with someone, whether it's like a toxic work environment or an un- unfulfilling work environment. But I do agree that what's important is, is that the sole thread of a friendship is you guys kind of just talking shit about work. Because then that's not really, in my eyes, a friendship, but it's more so like the situation that you're in with coworkers. What are things about a job that will cause you to misery bond with coworkers? For example, your boss or compensation of like not getting paid as much as you deserve. Yeah. Ooh, you know, like one thing is the like pay transparency, which is something I'm big on. Like I worked one place where I was getting like my bonus was was bigger than like my my friend's bonus and like like the way I was compensated was different and like I wasn't like it wasn't like I was over her it was I more experienced yes but like in theory the way that I was compensated and like how my bonus was like being paid out my bonus was more like my it was bigger than hers and she didn't know that and she like said it and I was like my bonus is so and so and such and such and she's like wait mine's only so and so and such and such. She's like, did you negotiate that? I was like, no, nah, I ain't even asked for this shit. <laughs> they just gave it to me. <laughs> so I'm like, and she was like, hot. And I was like, I, so I, I told her everything. I'm like, this is how much money I make. This is what my bonus is. This is what I negotiated. So I'm like, yeah. what, what is being, what is being practiced here now is like, you could make the argument. This is like <laughs> wage based, like pay, just like this pay discrimination against a woman of color. Yeah. I, like put, I threw yeah. all those words at her. <laughs> to fuel the fire that she did she do you know if she uh went back to her hiring manager and spoke about it i don't know if she talked to our manager about that ever but like i just i planted that seed i mean one of the things that i did here's here's one thing that happened to me like a dynamic that i've <laughs> that's that's played out over the course of my career i went from being like the young guy to the older guy in certain places so it was different when i was like the young guy who was like I wasn't reckless or wild, but I was young. And when you kind of like learning stuff, it kind of helps to have people who are young, who are older, like tell you stuff about the way things are, like just so you know how a place is, you know what I mean? And then you kind of, through that, you learn how to navigate stuff. Once I realized I was becoming like that guy, I was like, well, listen, I'm going to just, I'm going to tell you how it is. And maybe you don't have to, maybe don't follow everything I do. I don't expect you to, but I'm not going to lie to you. Because I feel like that's this information that that shouldn't be hoarded. And then that is how you build relationships. Yeah, I was going to say there is like that's a kind of like a side conversation of this is just like creating actual healthy relationships with your coworkers. And I feel like those type of those type of topics of like pay transparency and then also just brainstorming, those are all healthy ways to build a friendship that's going to outlast whatever job you're in. I do think that there is some sort of like beauty or freedom in standing behind hating your job. But my thing is, it kind of has a stop point whether you're going to actually do something about it or not. Because if you're not going to do something about it, then it becomes like self-imprisonment if you don't leave. And I think that's where commiserating with coworkers for me in the past has halted. Was and it's just like, all right, I mean, are we going to do something about this or not? Like, are we someone to quit? Is <laughs> like, are we trying to look for something else? Like, and I guess that, that's like an important thing of like, when is kind of like enough when it comes to hating your job alongside your coworkers? I mean, but it's not good for you. And I think what, what people got to realize is at some point it doesn't do you any good to stay. You know, it's like at this point, if you're just, you're staying in something and just like, talking about how bad it is constantly. And that's just like the, like the constant topic of conversation. You can't find anything about it. It's like, would you want to listen to somebody talk about how bad their job is? Like if you were dating somebody, it's like, while you're also not liking your job. So it's kind of like, yeah. (laughs) So so it's like at some point, you know, you could also realize that you're holding yourself back just by by staying or at least not trying. I know it's not, like just easy to just go get a job. Of course. Some people, no, you know what I'm saying? Know. Like that's a, that could be at a job in itself. Right. 
I think there are yes. a lot of companies you'll see now who maybe, you know, some more incredible, like the <laughs> less incredulous folks realize that, hey, they don't, you know, care about various non-white employees. You know, like, I, I don't know why anybody would ever fall for that okie doke in the first place, regardless of what people might have said in the past three years. But like, when you see it, just go, you know, because what I've learned over time is that that is the one thing we all have less of time. Mm. That's the thing you can't get back. Right. Yeah. So why would you want to spend less time in like your career at some place you hate, especially if it's not doing anything for you? I know career paths are weird sometimes. And sometimes you feel like you might have to stay someplace for this amount of time so that you can go here. And now you can make a ridiculous amount of money for like barely lifting a finger all because of like those years you put it in the trenches at the place you hated. But like, it ain't really good for you, man. And I don't, I don't, I, at the end of the day, I think you gotta, you might look back and realize those times in the trenches weren't worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one job that I remember vividly wanting to quit, which is not one that you may know, actually. Uh, but the I was at a place where I feel like it was sucking the creativity out of me just yes. because nothing, everything was going through one ear out the other um, as far as like ideas or strategy. And there was a point where I'm just like, this is making me feel like I'm not creative. And I'm just like, this is not going to end well if I am a creative person and I want to continue to grow that about myself. And I was with coworkers that also felt something similar, was just like they weren't being heard and things like that. And it's just like, like you said, like you're now packing on the trauma, like it's yours and then it's someone else's and someone else's. And there comes a point, like for me, it was, I needed a certain amount of money in my savings account to feel confident in putting a two week notice. But like you said, it, it's clearly easier said than done to like actually quit or walk away from a like toxic work environment or unfulfilling work environment, which may end up being toxic. But do you think there's like a difference when it's like a full time nine to five versus like a freelance or contractor job? Like, do you hate the same? I mean, I think people might not say it. there's a different type of investment. With with like contract jobs, it's more like, okay, you're going to do this for this duration. You're going to get this much money. And like when you're like done or like, or like when it's done, you're done. However, like when you do like when you work someplace and it's like you, you got to like be in it and people like expect you to like live it with them or be like a representative of this company or this brand, then <laughs> they just expect you to have more skin in the game sometimes. And you know, I don't, it, it can be just as bad, but I feel like, uh, a contractor is, is a little bit more trans, you know, a freelancer or a contractor is more transactional. You're also more disposable by design, but I feel like because of that, you should also look at it as like, this is transactional and this is what I'm here for. You know exactly what you're there Do for. Do you, you hold some power in knowing what it is pretty much? Yeah. You know, working as a, the 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 contractor freelancer vendor relationship is different than the employee employer relationship. There's like a clear expectation and like, you know, there's it's it's just different. You said something interesting though before about like feeling st like stifled or limited and knowing that that's why you needed to leave. And I was like, yeah, if you don't see like I said before, if you don't see a path forward, then like you need to go. Because like especially in something like uh a creative field, all that's subjective. So just because somebody says they don't like your work, so you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not the alpha and the omega. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw myself later when I was making decisions as far as like, you know, ideation or like what to put out into the world. I would like kind of second guess myself or when I would like yes. pitch ideas with it within, you know, another new job. I'd be like, I don't know, maybe this is not that creative enough. Maybe this is too simple. And it was a hard to get over that. And I know that that came from the previous job I was in where everything was either not right or not good enough. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, where did this turn happen? And then, you know, as time progressed and I had to just kind of like go back to trusting myself, I was just like, oh, that that did a little bit of damage that you don't really feel the feel or see the rippling effects until after you leave. Yeah, yeah. You can be in a situation like some one person's response to you and your work can make you lose confidence in, in, in your work. But like, you got to realize that like, don't even be about you sometimes. 
that's like, it could be about them and it might not even be like genuine or honest. Yeah. Talk about toxicity. I feel like that's where that word actually comes into play. It's kind of when it, when it becomes damaging to yourself or to you. Yes. It becomes like you, the, the, the environment, it just becomes like not productive. And like when it becomes untenable to that degree, you got to go. Yeah. What are some of your favorite shows or movies that you've seen that feature this type of misery bonding, which our producer Sasha came up with that term. And I kind of love it now. Well, there's one obvious one. I think a lot of people see Mike Judge's office space. Yes. You know, that that's um, (laughs) the funny thing is like it was on it was on last week when I knew we were going to have this conversation. I was like, (laughs) let me just watch it. It's like it was right at the beginning. I was like, it was literally about to come on. I was like, got to watch the whole thing. And I hadn't watched it in a while. And, you know, it's. (laughs) Well, Office Space. So for those who haven't watched Office Space is a, I guess, a revenge fantasy has a revenge fantasy plotline where like they embezzle the company after two of two coworkers or two of them are laid off and one is promoted. For not caring. (laughs) (laughs) Which was a little bit uh, amazing to see Um, and refreshing because you don't see that, which is probably why we love this movie. But it's very much more like anti-corporate, anti-capitalist. That's like the underlying theme of this revenge plot. But yes, tell me why this is your your favorite when it comes to this theme. It's one of my favorites because it makes a mockery of like mm-hmm. the whole like system and like the work structure. It's like, here's a guy who sees that like, he's like, I just don't like my job. So I'm just not going to try hard anymore. And in his indifference towards the job, everything about it is, <laughs> is then rewarded. Like even when he's having those, that meeting, the, the meeting with like the two bills, the people who were brought in to audit and evaluate like the company <laughs> determine who is worth keeping and who needs to go. He's just like, whatever about it. And he's like, I'm just going to say like the dumbest response, like the the dumbest, like answer possible. <laughs> and they just like think he's brilliant. And, you know, I've, I've seen people where it's like, I know you don't know what you're talking about, but just because you say it either really laid back or with a lot of confidence, people think that like, you're right. And that's also a bad thing. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a little bit of white male privilege in uh, the, the main characters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, his, the way, whole way he was operating. But I mean, that again shows, shows you why like the corporate structure is worthy of ridicule and just ultimately is bullshit often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just total I was bullshit. Say bullshit at the same time. Um, so my favorite is, as many know, The Office. It was literally in the background right before I start, we started recording. And it's amazing because they're in on the joke, but also, you know, that is like the under the tone of it all. You know, some things of like all of the women on the show experience like sexual harassment in some form <laughs> yeah. from their boss, Michael, and others, but mostly from their boss, Michael. Um, and most of the people of color clearly experience harassment from Michael. So, and one of like the most ridiculous moments is when... Uh, Michael kissed Oscar to show that he was not homophobic. Um, So there are like, you know, individual episodes like sexual harassment, (laughs) Diwali, diversity day, like gay witch hunt. Um, Prison prison Mike. Oh, prison Mike. (laughs) Prison Mike. (laughs) That that all address like these things head on, but are also very uh, like ambient throughout. So... Yeah, I think it's just, there, you know, and there's different friendships that you also see this, like, misery bonding through. Like, of course, the, the main one is Jim and Pam. So they, like, clearly bond over this, like, annoyance more than, it's dislike, but more so annoyance with Michael. Um, and then there's other friendships that are not as, like, seamless in forming, like, Jim and Pam, like Oscar and Kevin, where it's like in a very unlikely friendship. And it's more so not only forged because they dislike Michael, but it's because of proximity. And they sit next to someone that they also don't like, which is Angela, all day. So everyone also are, I guess, like what you would call cubicle friends based on where they were sitting this entire time. Um, Besides Dwight, who is obsessed with the one person that everyone dislikes. But yes, tell me how you feel about The Office. Um, the Office is one of those shows that will, it will always be in syndication and it resonates so deeply with people because it's like, 
work, right? It's like, that's just like a way into everybody. It's like people have jobs and a lot of people don't <laughs> like them. You know, everybody has some type of experience with uh, uh, maybe not a boss like Michael Scott, but a boss they don't like, a coworker they don't like. You know, someone someone like Dwight, there's always a guy like that, man. Always about the, yeah. the ass kissing try hard who's, you know, <laughs> a strict adherence to the rules, you know, just snitching on other people, yeah. and just, just all that. But what you ultimately see with, you know, and not to spoil the office for anybody, you know, the oh, show. Please ended spoil the office. 10 years, 10, <laughs> like the thing is, it's like you see how years after this mockumentary has been made, these people are all still friends. Yeah. You know, all the, you think about the, how contentious Jim and Dwight's relationship was mm, throughout mm-hmm. the course of the show with like Dwight resenting Jim's just like, mm, whatever, fuck it. I don't really care type of yeah, like nonchalance. Yeah. His total nonchalance. And then even to the point that it was like, he was stunting his own career through that, yeah. you know, and, and Dwight's like kind of insulted by that. You, you could tell they generally cared about each other. And, you know, Dwight's like, you know, Jim, Pam, if you, whenever you guys are here, you're always welcome to stay on my property. I go, my, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Kevin got fired, but they still like welcomed him uh, back. That was to also the- such a weird, <laughs> weird move. But I actually, I just thought of, you know, we've talked about kind of like, when do you quit? Like, when do you stop living in this misery and commiserating with other people. And I think that Jim has had, at least like, you know, that we see Jim has had those moments where he's just, where he should have quit, where he, or when he left and probably shouldn't have came back, like, you know, things like that. And it's interesting. There's, I think there's a moment where he just kind of like sits and thinks to himself because I think he gets compared to like Michael or someone calls him Michael accidentally. Um, And he has these different like moments throughout the show where he's just like, I should have left or I should leave or I should comp- like fully leave. Right. Cause then, you know, he's half part-time in Philly and part-time here and things like that. And I think that's like a good example of like, when do you cut the cord and like stop living? I mean, of course it's different cause he is, he has married a coworker. He has a life, a personal life with the coworker with Pam. But I think it was interesting to see those moments where, we were all kind of screaming for him to actually fully quit. Yeah. Not part-time quit. Or even for Pam, you look at her struggle, just like mm-hmm. feeling like she was like stuck in a rut and seeing like no advancement and to the point that she did something now like uncharacteristic, which is just like, I'm just quit. I'm just like follow Michael. Oh, he tries <laughs> yeah. to start his own company. His new Michael Scott paper company. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not really going to work <laughs> that well. Or even like Ryan. Oh, Ryan's an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. his up and down You career. know what? Is he maybe the one that hates his job the most out of all of them, now that I think about it? Maybe not Michael the most, but it feels like I think he just hates his job when he's not at corporate, when he's in the office. Maybe Stanley. I think Stanley's disdain for everything is just... <laughs> Oh yeah, because that—that's a part of his his character was is to just dislike everything. Yeah, that is true. You could—he just did not hide it, which I respect. <laughs> I, I yeah, I don't think I've ever disliked a boss like they disliked Michael Scott, or was annoyed at a boss as much as they were annoyed by him. I do think that you know, as far as like bonding with coworkers because of like racial or gender like mistreatment. Yeah. I feel like I I'll speak for myself and say that I've definitely experienced that in a, in a workplace very much more like microaggressions if anything else. And I feel like sometimes I've noticed that a red flag now is when they overhype diversity. <laughs> um I I had to learn that the hard way of that you know when that usually is like front and center in their pitch to lock you in as an employee or as a contractor, that's a little bit suspicious. Yeah, I never um, trust that. Because, <laughs> you know, like, like you, if you got to throw it in my face, it just seems like you want me to think it's important to you because it's not. Because when it's important to you, it's not forced. And let's be right. perfectly honest, it ain't important to most people. <laughs> have you, Have you ever been... I guess, have you ever bonded with coworkers because of something like that, of being like 
mistreated or it being feeling like a hostile environment because of sexual or like gender type of mistreatment, like that being the underlying issue. I think that as far as like, as a woman, sexual harassment, that is very obvious, right? Yeah. But I think that when it's been me as a person of color, it hasn't been, like I said, it hasn't been as obvious. It's been more like microaggressions. So I guess it depends also on like how strong that that is or how palpable it is across the board also. Yeah. I mean, I think just speaking for me personally, uh, there's little like things that like little microaggressive things where it's like, you could just look across the room at somebody and they're already thinking it too. And they laughing. It's like, just, <laughs> it's like the, the, the string of bell, you know, gift where he just like looks around his eyes, eyes dart back and forth. He chuckled, yeah. like, fucking serious. <laughs> it's that, you know what I mean? Or it's like I've, things where even if it's not microaggressive, it's like a little to- like you feel tokenized in a sense. Let's yeah, clump sure. all of our black employees together in this department which is responsible for this thing, which is obviously, you know. Which is responsible for culture. For culture. It is the, it's a culture department, usually. Yes, when, <laughs> when, you know, the culture of the organization is not consistent <laughs> with, you And know, yet the manager is not a person of color. It's, none of them yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody is, yet the voice and tone of the company is. I mean, I think there is some real shit, and I think that, I started thinking more of that when this new uh, series telemarketers came out recently. <laughs> and it's like very different from our, the other references that we're talking about because this is a, a it's labeled and is a true crime documentary series. It's crime. Uh, it's true to life. So we see like these emotions and camaraderie between coworkers almost like in real time. I mean, as in real time as you get when it's a documentary but specifically with two employees of this like very sus telemarketing center, Adam and Sam. And this documentary series kind of like takes everything a step further than what we've even talked about in which we like see like real agony of hating your job, but also being very dismissive at the same time of that agony. I think what was interesting to me is like actually seeing how real it is when you can't quit your job. You can't just leave because of like, financial circumstances or life where like it's hard to get a job after prison or like with the record or you have health issues. And like, I appreciated like the honesty in that. The first, (laughs) the first episode, I did not know what was coming because it was like all fun and games until it wasn't. But it's definitely an interesting twist to this conversation of you know, misery bonding. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you, you touched on something that I felt like we should highlight, which is the reality that upward mobility is privilege for everybody. That's not something that like, like I said before, you can, everybody can't just up and leave a job. It might take months for you to do that. Some people can't leave it all, but some people, it was the, what they went through to get the job that they are is currently making them miserable is, is like the, the most rigorous process of hell. So it's probably, you know, you don't know what's going on in people's lives. You never know what people are going through. So it might not be easy to leave. And I think that reality that you're stuck in something that you hate and you can't get out is really, really bleak. That's why you might not want to hear somebody complain about something when they can just go do something else, especially when people are even at different points in their careers and in their lives. Certain people have more options than others. The people who don't have options, it's kind of just like, this is what I got. So it's like, I have to make this work for me and I can't leave, but I hate this shit. So it makes coming to work every day horrible. The time spent in the office, horrible. The slightest extra mile that you have to go for any task, horrible. Yeah. And I feel like you saw that, especially on those like one-on-one, right? Interviews where you, you would see footage of everyone kind of like going crazy in the office at after after work hours. And then you would see these like one-on-one interviews where you were actually finding out exactly all the shit that they were going through after work. It is a very difficult place to be in when you feel like you can't leave a miserable situation, but that is also keeping you afloat in life. At the same time, like I couldn't imagine. And I think, you know, it it continues on to then like explore the actual like exploitation that was happening within this center. I guess you could also say that the bear has something a little bit similar where like 
remember Sydney and Marcus kind of like commiserated with how Carmi was treating them at work. I guess technically, quote unquote, their boss was treating them at work. Yeah. And then there's also the reality of like Carmi having to figure out that like him not wanting to be the person, like what he had experienced. And then his response to like Sydney and Marcus wanting to do other things than like the task that has to get done, the thing that is at hand. There's another show that I've watched that's, um, makes me think about work and it's not always about hating your job or just the, the characters hating their jobs, but the commiserating over just like the frustrations of it. Because I think what's more common for people is not just outright hating your job. It's being frustrated by aspects of it, but having to keep going back because it's like, you got to do it. You know, <laughs> you got to get to the next place in your career. You got to pay this. You got to pay that. You know, the, the realities of life. And like, that's Mad Men, which mm, is I've watched yes. multiple times, like over and over. And just, you know, uh, just because of the field that I work in or work in. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. um, it's specifically with the creatives, you know, like the 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 the, the art directors and the design and the, the, the copywriters and all that, just like the way that they are viewed by the people higher up in the agency, the frustrations that they have, seeing how some of them interact with like Don and, you know, Roger and all that. It, it's, it's just interesting. It's like even Peggy's relationship with Don being someone's protege and like kind of feeling like you're being held down by the person who's also like carrying you. How is like, it? What do you do with that? Right. How do you do that? How do you, how do you navigate that when like, you're, it's a younger woman and a slightly older, a man who's probably 10, 12, something like years or her senior. And it's also taking place mostly in the 1960s. So just like women working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At all. Period. At, yeah. at, at yeah. all. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's bad for y'all now. It was even worse then. Yeah. You yeah. had even fewer, <laughs> even fewer rights. I mean, I think I think about like what I, I mentioned earlier, like a lot of these shows, I guess, besides telemarketers and maybe I guess even a little bit, not the bear, like our satire, like that's how this topic is approached. In my opinion, it's because the topic is pretty real, which we do see in telemarketers because it is also a documentary. But why do you think satire works so well for this, like dry humor? Because you're emphasizing the ridiculousness of the situation. You know, it's like the, the the thing that everybody experiences and it's like, I can't believe this shit is happening. We're just going to make fun yeah. of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just going to come in in pajamas and tell everybody that I just try to do as little as possible. It's like lessening the blow also, especially yeah. if you know that you can't necessarily leave just yet. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a way of laughing through it for some for sure. people. You know, it's like it's making the best of a situation. You might be in a situation that you don't like. You might work someplace you don't like, but you got to find ways to like. Make it better for yourself. Cause it's, cause you ultimately, it's like the key to this really is like, you gotta have a life outside of this, man. You say, use the word boundaries earlier. And like, that's really what it is really hard boundaries because there are people who like people will make their problems your problems. Cause hey, you know, people want you to be miserable with them, right? Misery, misery, misery loves misery company, loves company. Yeah. or just an ear. Cause you just gotta be able to like step away from something, even like work from home. We gotta go out, go outside and like, Touching grass is important. Y'all. I know that saying is very true. I think, I think if I think about it's like imperative. lessons I've learned from like seeing this play out, at least on screen of like, you know, hating your nine to five, it's definitely the lesson of boundaries of like, you will only be, you're your only advocate in work environments, if not even more, you have to be your own advocate and you got to set those boundaries because no one else will. Juliet, is there anything else you want to add? I will say this. With regard to leaving, there are experiences that I've had that have pushed me to like get out or just get to other places in my career. You, I kind of feel like you got to look at it as I don't ever want it to be this bad again, right, knowing that exactly. it could totally be this bad again. Yes. It's, it, there's a, it's actually highly probable that it could be, right? Yes. So, you know, you should use that if you can to fuel like your exit. And to, you also learn, once you experience certain things, you, you learn how to identify the bullshit everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes work. There's many parts to it taking work as far as like saving or strategizing as far as, you know, actually exiting an unfulfilling or toxic work environment. But ultimately, 
when it starts feeling that way of like, there's more bad than good that you're feeling and you're talking about. I feel like that it's time to go. And also just everyone do not talk shit on Slack. Uh, just, uh, yeah, just watching. an FYI. Yeah. <laughs> just an FYI to everyone. Yeah. Do not talk shit on the Slack channels. Yeah, um, don't, don't talk shit on any company communication unless you just don't exactly. give a fuck. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess Because <laughs> they, also... they're watching you. Yeah. Um, thank you, Julian. Thank you, Stephen. Also, of course, thanks everyone for listening. If you have any horror stories or thoughts or feels <laughs> about misery bonding with your coworkers, we'd love to hear them if you would like to share. Um, email us at whataboutyourfriendspod at gmail.com. Talk to you next week. <laughs>